I've had the honor, I guess, of getting to perform some unusual weddings over the years, some very different kinds of weddings and, and some unusual couples, and it's been a blessing. One of them comes to mind, uh, a young couple I knew from the Indianapolis area, um, they had met at a robotics competition. You ever see these robotics competitions on TV where the kids build the robots and they, they fight the robots? And They had met at a robotics competition. They were, they were brilliant. This is a, a brilliant young couple. They were brilliant. They, they both ended up going to Purdue University for school. Um, they were incredibly nerdy. They were just total, complete nerds. And so as we put the wedding together, we wanted to, to kind of honor this, this uh, history that they had of, of being brought together through the robotic competition. I mean, they would, they would volunteer. Once they were in college, they would work with high school kids who were building robots. This was such a big part of their lives. And so as, as we put the wedding together, what could be more appropriate but right before the bride walks down the aisle, here comes the, here comes the ring bearer. And who's the ring bearer? He's a robot. And he's got his little robot arm out holding a pillow, and there's the rings, and I had to ask the robot for the rings during the ceremony. And, and since I'd worked this out with them, you know, since this was such a part of who they were, part of their vows, part of the vows that I made them take were that if there was ever a robot uprising, you know, like, like in the Terminator, you know, if the, if the robots ever became self-aware and threw off the shackles of their human oppressors and, and rose up against us, would they protect one another? Would they take care of one another? And they, they both promised that they would. You know, that was an important part of it. I didn't say it was a funny part of it, but it was, a, it was an important. There are a lot of funny vows out there that couples take, and they're funny, and yet they are appropriate to the couple. Um, I read about some of these funny vows that couples take. One groom promised this, and I think several of you could, could appreciate this. The groom promised his bride, I promise to unclog the tub even though only one of us has long hair. That's a, that's a good vow. Someone needed to make that vow. One of the part, This doesn't say whether this was the bride or the groom that made this promise, but it was, I vow to protect you from spiders as long as we both shall live. That could have gone either way. I could see that being either one of them. Um, how about this one? You guys are going to love this one. I vow to wash if you'll dry just so we can spend time in the kitchen together. Oh, isn't that wonderful? This is my favorite. This was the vow they made. Now that we've gotten skinny for this wedding, let's get real fat together. I'm ready for that one. Think about wedding vows. We've been looking at the life of Hosea and his message, and we've been looking at Hosea and and his wife, Gomer, over the last three weeks. I think about this marriage that God called Hosea to. He called him to marry a prostitute. He called him to have children born of infidelity. Children born of prostitution. God called Hosea to, to live out his message. He called Hosea to a, to a broken heart and to broken vows. And there must, have been, there must have been vows made at one time. There must have been a vow that was made. There must have been promises that were made. Now, in the ancient Jewish custom, the custom was that the groom would make the vow to the bride's father. That's, a, that's the custom of the Jews, that, that, they, that the groom would make the, the bride's father. He would make a vow to him. And we have 
Gomer's father named in this in the, the book of Hosea. Dibliam is his name. And, and there must have been a time when Hosea said to his father-in-law, I came to thy house for thee to give me thy daughter Gomer to wife. She is my wife and I am her husband from this day and forever. This day and forever. Those vows meant something. Those vows meant something to Hosea. He made that promise. And even though his wife would not live up to that vow, Hosea would. And in fact, as we saw last week, he would make that vow again. Vows are important. And God knows this. And so as we come to the end of Hosea, we come to chapter 14. God calls His people to make a vow to Him. He calls us to make a vow. Verse 2 of chapter 14, God says, take with your words and return to the Lord. Use your words. Take with your words and return to the Lord. He wants us to think this through. He wants us to know what we're promising, what we're pledging. Do we want Him? Do we want His love? Do we want His relationship? And then in the verses that follow, we have God pledging Himself to His people. God Himself makes a vow and He tells us exactly what He is offering as we offer ourselves to Him. We're going to be in Hosea 14. Just nine little verses in Hosea 14. If you've got those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 759. I encourage you to follow along. You know, the book of Hosea is old. This is an old book by our standards. It's over 2,500 years old. Uh, and yet, we know that God doesn't change, does He? You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can trust these promises. We can trust that these promises stand. And as we look at what God promises, we can know that these promises are also for us. And the first thing that God promises to us here in, in the book of Hosea is that God's love for us is unconditional. Chapter 14 begins with God calling us to make a vow to Him. Beginning in verse, verse 1, God says, Return, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. You've stumbled because of your, of your sin. He says, take with your words and return to the Lord and say to Him, take away all iniquity, take away sin, and accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls. We will make this vow and we will pay this vow with our lips, the vows of our lips. And then verse 3, he says, Assyria shall not save us, and we will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. And in you, the orphan finds mercy. He says, Assyria will not save us. Assyria was the strongest nation of those days. And if you were going to depend on anybody to get you out of trouble, you might depend on the Assyrians. That was the army to be beat, and no one could beat them. And so, we're not going to trust that Assyria will save us. He says, we're not going to ride on horses. That, that would be the equivalent of a, of a tank, really, in their time. You know, that was, that was a war machine. We're not going to trust in, in another nation. We're not going to trust in the, the strength of our resources. And he says, we're not going to say to our hands anymore, this is my God. The things that we can make, the things that we can do for ourselves, we're not going to trust in those things. Rather, we're going to trust in God. And that's exactly the promise that they made, and that's exactly what God promised to do for them, was to take care of them. Verse 4, we have God's promise back to His people. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. 
I will heal their apostasy. That's a word we don't, we don't use a lot anymore. We don't talk about apostasy. We may not use the word, and yet it's everywhere. Apostasy is when we walk away from God, when we fail to keep our commitments to Him. And, and so often, you know, our, our failure makes us feel ashamed. And when we feel ashamed of our failure, we end up hiding. We hide from other people. We hide from ourselves sometimes. And, and we hide from God. And what God is saying there in verse 4 is, I can heal your apostasy. I can heal your failure. I can make, I can make a vow that will make up for all the vows that you cannot keep. Some of us have known that, that shame of, of starting off in the right direction and following God only only to find us veering off, you know, and, and, and kind, of, kind of going by the wayside instead. God is saying, I can love you anyway. I can love you freely. And we desperately need to hear that. Verse 5, he says, I will be like the dew to Israel, and he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. We, we don't think much about dew here in our climate. I mean, we have dew. Usually there's dew, but we don't think much about it because we've got rain. We had rain yesterday, a little bit of rain. Um, we had a lot more rain where I was yesterday. We've got creeks. We've got rivers. We've got all kinds of sources of water. Back then, dew was everything. The, the dew might be the only source of water you have available. And some days you'd get up and the dew wasn't there. Yeah, that, that happens every now and then, doesn't it? We wake up some mornings and oh, there's, there's no dew this morning. And in those days when you'd wake up and the dew was gone, you, you would assume that maybe God was angry with you, that maybe He was disappointed in you, and so He was withholding the dew. But here, God says, I will be like the dew. I can nurture you. I can strengthen you. I can cause you to find your roots in Me. He says, my love is unconditional, and your sin and your failure will not stop Me from loving you. God's love is unconditional. That's a promise that He makes through Hosea. And He also promises us His grace. And He says that His grace is without measure. Verse 6 goes on and God tells us what we'll be like if we trust Him. Verse 6, He says, His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. And their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. If we go all the way back to Genesis, we see God's plan for His people. God's plan for us at the beginning was that we would dwell with Him in in a perfect relationship, that we would dwell with Him in a perfect place. And we know that our sin took that away from us. Our sin destroyed that. We lost Eden because of our failure. And yet the promise is here that God has never given up on us. God has never given up on our relationship. Verse 7, he says, they shall dwell in the shadow. And I don't have to remind you again, this was a, a harsh climate and shade was very important. Yesterday we were in uh, we were in Springfield at the Lincoln Museum yesterday, and Connor was kind of acting up. Connor was ready to go; he'd had enough. He got the point, you know. Guy was president. Let's get out of here. Uh, so Connor's ready to go. Uh, Trish and Grace were still in the still in the gift shop buying stuff. I don't know stovepipe hats, whatever you get. Whatever. And uh, so I had to get Connor out of there. And so we go outside, and we had two options: we go over here and sit on benches. 
we over here and sit on benches. Over here is in the sun. Over here is in the shade. Guess where we went? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have to tell him that. He knew. We're not going to sit in the sun. We're going to go sit in the shade. That's what we did. That's what you do. And that, in this harsh climate, sometimes that's, that's all you had was if you could find some shade. The heat was oppressive. You needed shade. And that's, that's exactly what God is, pro- is promising His people. He's promising I'll be your shade. You can find relief in me. You'll find comfort in me. Jesus made the same promise. Centuries later, Jesus made the the same promise. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I love verse 7. He says, Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. That's a great picture. It's a great word picture there. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Everyone back then knew that Lebanon had the, had the best wine. In fact, Lebanon had the best of everything. They had the best trees. You notice he talks about the, the roots of the trees, the big cedars in Lebanon. He talks about the, the fragrance of Lebanon. You know, Lebanon smelled like growth. There, was, there were these beautiful cedar trees and there was the, these beautiful vineyards and, and the wine in Lebanon was the best. Everyone knew Lebanon had the best wines, the best grapes. It was delicious. It was refreshing. People would talk about the wine from Lebanon. Oh, you got to try the wines this, you know, from Lebanon. They would go on and on about that. And God says to His people, I want my people to be like that. I want, people to talk, I want, I want my people to be talked about in the same way that people talk about the wine from Lebanon. I want my people to be like that. I want them to be refreshing. I want my people to be inviting. Maybe even, I want my people to be a little intoxicating. Not intoxicated, but intoxicating. That when you're with them, you suddenly feel good. You know, you, you suddenly feel a little, maybe, a little, maybe a little giddy because you're, you're with God's people. He, he wanted that. And I think about that. And I want people to think of our church that way. I don't want people to think of all Christians that way, but, but I want our church to be, to be thought of as a place that's refreshing. I want people to think of Kansas Christian Church as, as a gracious church, a place where you will find grace. And if, if people come here and they are tired and they are burdened and they are beat down, that, that they can find rest, they can find refreshment, that they would find us, they would find from us grace without measure, grace in abundance. I would love to, for them to find here exactly what God promises. And, and, and God goes on and He promises us here in, in Hosea 14 that His forgiveness, His forgiveness is ours. You know, God's people were abandoning Him for false gods. And that's the whole point of, of Hosea. That's why Hosea marries a prostitute to, to show how God's people have been unfaithful. They've, they've gone off after, after other gods. They, they've gone and worshipped these false gods. And God's people were abandoning Him for these idols. And one of the problems that you have with when you're worshiping an idol is you can never be sure if that idol was going to be happy today or not. That idol's moods would just change on a whim. And, and one day they're blessing your crops. You know, one day you're, you're thanking them for all the great crops. The next day a, a drought comes. And, and oh, what did we do to make the gods mad? What did we do to, to, to tick off this idol? Would they listen to your prayers? You're not sure. You can't be sure if they're going to hear you or not. And so God says in verse 8, O Ephraim, Ephraim is another name, by the way, for Israel. It's actually a more proper name at this time for the people of Israel. He says, O Ephraim, 
what have I to do with idols? What, what do I have in common with these false gods? What have I to do with idols? It is I who answer you, and I look after you. In other words, I'm not like that. You, I'm not, you don't have to wonder about me. You don't have to worry about having my attention. I hear you, I answer you, and I look after you. You know, another problem with, with those false gods and those idols is their power would change with the seasons. You know, a, a fertility god is great as long as it's a growing season. You know, you get your fertility god, he's going to bless your crops. But as soon as the growing season's over, that fertility god, he goes and takes a nap. Or maybe he goes on a journey and, or he's gone on a trip. He's on vacation somewhere. He's, he's not around anymore. But what does God say? He says in verse the second half of verse 8, he says, I am like an evergreen cypress, and from me comes your fruit. You know, you and I, we may not worship stone or, or wood idols, but it's easy for us to be just as confused as these people. And it's easy for us to think of God as, as fickle. We think of God as fickle sometimes. You know, as long as we've got our health, as long as we get a, a good report from the doctor, then, then God is good. As long as you got your job and, and everything's going well, you got plenty of money in your pocket, then, then God is blessing me. As long as our church is full, then, then God is good. But the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis. You, know, you get bad news from the doctor or, or you lose your job or we go through a season of decline and suddenly we start wondering, what have we done wrong? Why is God mad at us? Why isn't God blessing us? Why has He abandoned us? And God says, that's not me. That's not the way I am. He says, I am like an evergreen. You get the point, right? They are evergreen, right? They are always green. They, they are never going to go dormant. God says, I don't go dormant. I don't abandon you. He would made the same promise years earlier. They needed to hear it again, though. And we probably need to hear it again, but he had made that same promise centuries earlier. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. We need to be reminded of that every now and then. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. You and I need to remember that. Because we're the ones who abandon God. We're the ones who break our vows. And, and like Hosea's wife, we, we break God's heart. We break His heart over and over again. And yet, and yet His offer never changes. His love is always there. And the plea from God's heart to us is always the same. God's plea is always, just come home. Just get some coffee. Just go up here to the coffee place and grab some. You're gonna leave without saying a word, no goodbye, no nothing. I love you, you know. I do, no matter what, and you need to know that. Yeah, right. What do you mean by that? I don't mean anything by it. Yeah, but what are you trying to say by doing that? 
I'm not trying to say anything. I'm sure you are. Come on, Jimmy. What is there to say? I've been cheating on you. You want details? Is that it? Details? Can we just slow down, please? Just go out and grab a cup of coffee. That's all you I'm really asking. You really need to stop forgiving me like this, Jimmy. I'm leaving. Lisa. Lisa, please. No, here. Here's your ring. Would you please just take the ring? Come on, Lisa. After all those nights I waited up for you, you can't give me the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee? Jimmy, please. Just a cup. No. A single cup of coffee, that's all I'm asking. What is it with you and the coffee? You make it sound like salvation or something. I don't want coffee. Would you please just take the ring? Why don't you just take it to a pawn shop and hawk it or something? I'm not taking it back. You know, Jimmy, it's not just the infidelity. Your birthday? I wasn't at work like I said I was. I was with somebody else. Somebody else? You know what I mean. That pocket watch I gave you? I didn't have time to go get your gift. So he gave it to me. That was his watch. Maybe you ought to give that back to him. Can't you see what I mean? I tried to be a good wife to you, I did. But there's something wrong with me, I can't do it. And you're a good man, Jimmy, you deserve better than that. I don't want better than that, I want my wife. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> no, you cannot love this. Nobody can care for this. think that I'm stupid? And I can't see that you're a walking contradiction? And why can't I love you? It's my heart. It's my love. I can do with it what I want. I can love my mother. I can love watching bees suck nectar from a flower. And I can love your eyes when they're desperate and lonely like this. It's mine. I'm allowed. And right now, I invest my love in you because that is who I am. I'm your husband. I am the man who promised you through thick and thin. And if you could feel those words in the way that I mean them right now, you wouldn't question whether I'm capable of loving you or not. You would say, he loves me that much. I'm only asking for a cup of coffee. God's love is unconditional. His grace is without measure. And His forgiveness is ours. But that kind of love requires a response. You have to do something.
with that kind of love. Just like that husband's plea for just, just one cup of coffee, just some time to discuss this. Let's talk this over. This, this kind of love longs to be discussed and thought over. And in the past few weeks, we've been with Hosea through heartbreak after heartbreak as again and again he loves his wife and, and she leaves him, she rejects him, she humiliates him. And we've seen through Hosea God's broken heart as we've treated him the same way. But in the end, we come to the very last verse. We come to verse 9 and it comes down to this. God says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. God calls us to think this through, to carefully consider His offer and consider His love. Our failure, our sin, our inability to keep our vows do not prevent God from loving us. And His love is ready to heal us. His grace is there to restore us, and His forgiveness is there to welcome us home. You know, maybe today's not the first day you've ever made that vow. Maybe today's not the first day you've ever, you've ever made that promise to follow Him and, and at some point you veered off. At some point you, you, you failed. and That's okay. Because His love is just as real today as it was that first day you made that vow. His grace is still here for you. His forgiveness is still promised. And if you need to respond to His offer, we're here to welcome you. We're here to, to pray with you. Whether you want to come forward and have me pray with you here, whether you want to go back, we're going to have the door open and the door into my office open and some of our elders and their wives are going to be going back there and, and uh, they'll be available for pray. Even after the service, they're going to be back there for a while in case you need to go back and pray and talk about what do we do next? What's the next step from here? But our plea with you is still God's plea through Hosea. And his plea through Jesus, please just come home. Let's stand together and sing.